Hello, and welcome to the MNM podcast. This is Michael Gallagher, a lecturer in digital education at Maury House School of Education and Sport at the Center for Research in Digital Education at the University of Edinburgh. Wow, I didn't expect you put all of that in again. Uh, <laughs> so I'm I'm Miles Blaney. I'm service manager at uh, in digital learning applications and media and learning, teaching, and web and information services at the University of Edinburgh. Um, go for it. We have a very special guest, and we're very happy to have is Karen Howie. Karen. Hi, I, I'm Karen Howie. I um, I work in the same place as Miles, but I am the acting head of digital learning applications and media, but in the same part of information services at the University of Edinburgh. Excellent. Welcome. Yeah, so today we're just going to continue on our conversations um, from the last podcast and about these um, extraordinary times and about the the pivot or the lurch or the transition um, or the phase of us um, moving within a very quick timeline to um, provide more online teaching. Um, so what we want to discuss in, in this session with our special guest, Karen, is how the University of Edinburgh um, achieved this uh, pivot in what is a um, in an amazing timeline um, to, to be able to do what we've done. Um, and so we brought Karen in, who was um, involved um, in this move, and discuss um, some aspects of that. Okay, so just to give everybody the kind of a his- the history of it, I think it's, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, Michael and Karen, at any point, it's three weeks ago that uh, people came together to actually devise how we could transition people um, to, to, to move online, to teach online, um, and then do that all within a create that training and then deliver that training um, so the the university could be fully online teaching within a week um, so um, I'm just going to ask the question now to to Karen and Michael who are heavily involved in this um, so how how exactly did this training and this plan actually come together so first I would say that everybody in the university has been working really, really hard on on making this, this shift to, to remote teaching. Um, so it's not just information services that have been involved. People across the schools have been have, have been working very hard and we've seen lots of really interesting um, case studies um, over the, few, the last few weeks. Within information services, um, I think we started to realise that there was potentially an issue probably about Four to five weeks ago, and we started to to start thinking about the fact that we were we were potentially seeing this this um, the kind of pandemic spreading um, outside of the UK, and we were starting to think about how we might cope with that um, if it actually happened. As you know, the, the things change so quickly. So the the week that we started to plan, it, we were all at work and everything was normal, and then by the end of that week it was clear that we weren't going to be working actually in the university for too much longer. And in the end, our first training session was actually a remote a remote training session. So actually training people how to use, for example, a tool like for a virtual classroom like Collaborate. Um, from within Collaborate itself took a bit of getting our heads around how that might work. But everyone worked really, really hard and stepped up to the mark. Um, when we start, it took about a week to get the, the training all planned and the web pages up, and then we were running eight um, hours of training every day in collaborate over that first week when we were all working from home, and it worked remarkably well considering. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, Karen, you brought up an interesting point there. I think the timeline, I think to your credit over at ISG and Information Services Group, I think you saw uh, the uh, this this these trends coming a little bit earlier than I think many did. And I think you started to put contingency plans in place a little bit earlier than maybe uh, maybe many did as well. Because I think the response was really uh, the response time, and it was really critical there. And uh, the idea that Karen's right, that it looked very, very clearly like a lot of this training was going to take place face to face in the eventual uh, uh, possible transition uh, to working from home. And that deteriorated really quickly, too, right? So it was by that Friday, I think we all sort of knew that Monday was going to be the last day. We're going to more or less Monday or thereabouts was going to be the last day that we're going to be able to all come together. I mean, we had book training rooms for, for whole days um, to run this training face-to-face and then, you know, quickly realised that we weren't going to be able to use them. So um, it was a very quick pivot to the remote training, um, basically. I agree. And, so, and, I'm sorry, go ahead, Miles. So, I'm, I'm, Just to say, was there any kind of, you know, uh, was there any other kind of indications or any kind of, like, staff appeal or mass? prior to that saying oh hang on because it was because you're right I think you hit the nail on the head it was such a it's an extraordinary thing to be one day you're in saying we're fine we're booking rooms and the next day to be told you physically can't come into the office anymore so um, and it's 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 crazy I think in five days because I remember the Monday that everybody was in the office working away and then I I, I spoke to Karen and I said I want to work at home on the Tuesday because I didn't want to get the train in anymore because I got the train home that night and the amount of people coughing just freaking me out and getting my anxiety up so there was no real indication prior to that that you know by the end of that week you'd be all sitting in spare bedrooms or hallways working on computers that's a good point you know that Monday where we were all together in information services group and that day over the eight hours we more or less put together the entire well, you all basically put together the, the the training program or what suite of training services would be offering. All that came together in one day. I knew by the end of that day, that was the last day I was going to be on campus. Uh, I wasn't, I found very similar to Miles. We had been uh, coming off a, more or less a three or four week industrial action period and I hadn't been in the office. So the last time I've seen anybody in my own office, not necessarily ISG, but thinking more about the Center for Research and Digital Education, and it's been it's been a long, long time, and I don't intend. To, I mean, I don't expect to see them for a very long time. So it was strange to me to think that that day in ISG was my first day on campus in quite some time, mm. and my last my last day, day. <laughs> and my last day. And I was happy to work with that crew because that was a, a very can-do kind of attitude, and it was just about what can we do in a short period of time. And uh, so it was it was a good experience actually. And and see what was so. Because um, we talked about training briefly, and, and I know we kind of touched on on the web pages, and I think the web pages are the the teaching continuity web pages, um, and they have a massive amount of information, don't they? And you know, there's tons of pages that have been pulled together to provide information online for people to access, you know, crucial information about all these services as well. Is there anything else that we've missed, or um, I, what I would add about the web pages is we've tried to. Um they are covering our recommendations so effectively what we had to do was cherry pick bits of our existing guidance to make sure that we were giving people really clear instructions on what to do 
right now. So um, during this kind of period of uncertainty, so they're not necessarily the recommendations we'd, we would make like all the time. But mm-hmm. for now, we just need to keep things as simple as possible. Um, so that's what I've done about those web pages. Um, but they did. They, we were. I was just reflecting. So Stuart, who I think you're going to interview at some point in the next couple of weeks, so he's the manager. That he's the acting head. Sorry, he's the head of um, educational design and engagement. So that team was. They're kind of like the opposite to us. So we do the service management and make sure the services are all running, and we have conversations with vendors about capacity and things like that. Whereas Stuart's team really really do most of the staff development and the training and uh, Stuart and I were sitting at sort of half seven in the office next to each other on the Monday battering out these pages and trying to make sure they were as simple and, and clear as possible for people to use so it yeah it, it was nice to it, it, it was a nice thing to work together um so it was really nice but in some respects we were under quite a lot of pressure and hoping to do something that would make people's life a bit easier and a bit clearer. And, and I bet, sorry, Miles, go ahead. And can I just go slightly off agenda as well? Because I think you said a key thing as well is that you know I, we're, you're promoting services to a wider user base there um, than would use them on an everyday basis anyway. So the, the conversations with the vendors, you know, how do they how do they go and what do they actually involve? I mean, for me, it was making sure that they a that um, we had the capacity to make so effectively that they could scale up because we knew that certain services were going to be a lot more popular than others just because we were definitely recommending them. But also to make sure that we had, you know, the licensing that agreement that we have in place would support the amount of use that we we're going to make. So there was conversations um, about that sort of thing. There's been lots of vendors who have very kindly offered us free access to products but we've been quite clear about we're not doing anything new just now it's it's we're just trying to keep things as simple as possible effectively three weeks ago we weren't sure you know how this would play out and we want to make sure that whatever we were doing was robust and and supported and that basically we weren't sure how many people would end up ill we didn't know how many people um you know would have childcare or um elderly relatives that they had to look after so we're just trying to keep things as simple and um sustainable as possible um but but realizing that effectively we were going to some of the the services were going to be hit a lot harder than others so we I had to have conversations with them the team had to have conversations with the vendors about exactly what we wanted to do and um, just to make sure that they could certainly scale up and it seems like they have all they've all coped we've had a a few glitches here and there but nothing more than we would normally so I think that's a a really good sign. I would agree with that yeah I haven't heard too much in terms of it failing and we've been recommending they use you know synchronous sessions on collaborate if uh, if that's what they are inclined to do normally in a class and and to keep it simple, and all have been pretty well received. I mean, we've given caveats about saying that you're be coming off your home bandwidth, or you're coming off your your Wi-Fi from home. So just bear that in mind. But from what I've heard, everything seems to be running pretty well. Do you know the other thing I think is that people understand the situation that we're in, and no one's expecting what we're doing to be perfect. And um, as long as it's good enough, if, if that makes any sense, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. So I think people are. 
if if there are issues with systems and there haven't been very many reported at all but when there are people have been a lot more understanding about it in terms of understanding the scale that these systems are being used and the stress that everyone is under you know in terms of how people are coping so um, it's a good it's a really good point Karen I found the same in the in the in the training sessions and the drop-in sessions we'll we'll talk more about later but uh, the faculty themselves have been very open to the idea that what I'm telling them is not necessarily the most sophisticated pedagogy in the world. It's, it's we're talking about sequencing things in a meaningful way and the simplest way possible for this emergency provision. So I found that the understanding level, you're right, was 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 quite pronounced throughout the throughout the entire university. So, so do we actually just want to touch on the, the you know the the core services that we were um, promoting and training people on? Um, just to give people some kind of the background of of the size of them. Sure. Yeah. Go, uh, yeah. Karen, do you want to try? Yeah. So um, we we basically um, we do, we run four training sessions, and I'll let um, Michael talk a bit more about the the kind of core remote teaching drop in um, that he ran with Stuart. But in terms of this, the services that we chose to to recommend to people there were things that we hoped would be simple and would scale up and in in many situations that they would already kind of know so for example we encourage people to put a lot more resources and learn um learn as the institutional and vle most all of our on-campus students use learn so they should all be familiar with it So, so should staff who teach on campus and it's you know, it's a virtual learning environment. It's got places, you know, it's got this kind of places that you're you're going to leave, you're going to um, share content. Um, it's got communication tools in there. Um, allows you to send announcements and things like that. So you can do things, you can do a lot of the engagement asynchronously through the tools within that virtual learning environment. So that was something we hoped would require less staff development um, because people already are familiar with Learn, what I would say is that we are we have a project um, called Learn Foundations, which is about basically a consistent user experience for students, which we've been trying to roll out for the last. So we've been it's been in progress for the last couple of years, and we're we're trying to roll out to more schools every year. And I think that's probably more important than ever now. Um, we want to make sure students can log in to Learn and can find what they need to without spending lots of time looking for things that are kind of buried away in hidden little corners of, of learn so standardization um, of stuff so that, yeah because it's it's kind of key isn't it more than ever now to say i i even the language used within learn to to call certain things this or that yeah there's a lot of inconsistency across uh, across the naming conventions and students who are um so as I say, students who are in diff- who are on joint programs in different schools, but actually, lots of students take courses from outside schools, and also um, within schools themselves, they can be a, a wide variety of different terms and terminology used within the VLE. So, um, definitely, it's a good project. For, so, going forward, it's going to be really important that we stick with that kind of good practice and the um, consistency um, going forward. But we pick learn because. You know, it's our core tool. We want people to use it and people kind of know how to use it already. The other things that we suggested were if you want to do a live, so I've replaced basically a small a, a small lecture or a live seminar, um, that you would do that with Collaborate. So it's a tool that you can use to, to um, it's like a virtual classroom. So effectively you can 
teach people. You can have in, an interactive conversation, but it's all live and you can record it so people who can't be there can play play it back. So that's what we use for our training where you can do a screen share or you can share PowerPoints or whatever you feel like sharing. And um, so the attendees can see your screen and can hear you talk through things. And then they can have a conversation either through, a, um, again, connecting up with their microphone and having a chat or by typing in a chat window where it's a t- kind of text chat. Um, so f- when particularly when we weren't sure if students were going to remain in Scotland or Edinburgh locally or before we knew whether they were going home or not that was one of the things that we said you can still continue to do your live sessions you would just do it through collaborate rather than through sitting in a room with them um the other technology we suggested was media hopper create so it's media hopper create is our um asset our media asset management system so it does um the management of the media but also the streaming of it um, and the reason we selected um, that tool is it's got a nice little desktop recorder which allows you to upload your videos directly to learn so you could do a screencast or a talking head video of yourself and then you just upload it straight to learn and it's really easy and requires kind of limited um, time you know you basically record and you you save and it um, you, you make it live and learn. It all gets uploaded, and it's all within the um, within the Learn VLE. So it was quite easy. Um, so we picked services that were familiar already to staff, or um, ones where we felt they were particularly suitable for the jobs that we were asking people to do. And so these are these services are like kind of embedded already, aren't they, and widely yep. used? Yeah, they are core services that we would recommend for this particular jobs that we need we need to do so so there was training on those three and then there was this um this the training session you're involved with michael yeah so uh largely an attempt to sort of uh sort of cohere the other three training sessions and put a wrapper around it uh with some sort of drop-in session where faculty or learning technologists whomever really could drop in and have an open Q&A with myself and Stuart Nickel, who we'll be talking to in a few weeks, and, and John Jack, uh, who we'll also be talking to in a later uh, podcast as well. Uh, so it was to give this sense that we had this kind of drop-in session where anybody could ask anything they want, and we had a dramatic range of questions, largely about how might I approach doing this, how might I approach teaching a class of 300 students online, and uh, et cetera, et cetera, these, these types of things. So we ran... Uh, these at the beginning and midday every day for uh, I forget how long we did it in total, but it felt like a long time. Uh, <laughs> so, so there were quite a few sessions. Let's put it that way. So uh, 10, 11, 12, I don't know, something like that. So we ran quite a few sessions twice a day, every day for that entire first week. And then we did a few more sessions uh, the next week as well. Uh, and those questions were good, actually. And in, in that session, we tried to frame teaching online in a quick accessible way. And we did that by emphasizing just really three things, which is continuity, contact, and care. And this idea of continuity, it was like we're trying to put something online so that that connection between the student and the teacher and the and the student and the institution isn't broken. It's not lost. Uh, it's very hard to retrieve once it is broken. So to maintain some continuity, however it's structured online, was important. And we emphasized that. Uh, we emphasized contact itself. And 
by contact, it's I was trying to explain in these sessions that it's a slightly uh, elusive thing online, this idea of making contact with your students and contact time. And how does that manifest itself? But what's some easy ways you can use, learn, and collaborate and media hopper to establish that contact? And it all sort of revolves around this idea of transactional distance, which uh, if they're, you know, if they're academic, ed tech academic people listening to this, they're going to critique me on that is that we found it to be a transactional distance is a flawed theory, but it, it serves its purpose because it's very accessible and it, it advances the idea that distance online is a, ultimately is an emotional and communicational distance. It's not strictly a spatial or a geographical concept. So the more contact, the more dialogue between teacher and student, the lesser the distance, the greater the outcomes, the greater the student engagement. More distance equals less engagement. So it really becomes a matter of managing that. So we emphasize transactional distance and how are you maintaining contact? And with like very, very pragmatic takeaways such as Monday weekly announcements to frame the conversation. Uh, it's better to jump onto the discussion boards multiple times a week rather than one long period of time. So you're doing small spurts of activity, bursts of activity at multiple points during the week rather than one huge input at one time uh, during the week. So it's little things like that. And then we also emphasize care. And we are very keen to emphasize this because this we had talked about it in the last podcast as well, but it's a very trying time for everybody involved, students in particular, uh, but also certainly for, for faculty, for staff, for instructional designers, for learning technology, for everybody involved, this is a pretty stressful time. So we really wanted to emphasize self-care and student care uh, check to make sure your students don't go invisible. Uh, uh, reach out to them if they're struggling with technologies, uh, but do take care of yourself. Don't be online 24 hours a day. That's not the takeaway we wanted to get across. So we started with that conversation, and then we launched into Q&A for 45 minutes usually, uh, and we received representation basically across the university and answered, I don't know, hundreds of questions in those in those sessions. So I thought that was pretty productive overall. And see, so I think it's a really nice wrapper to actually have sessions based on the use of the technology itself. So we're talking about those core services that Karen talked about, like Collaborate Learn and, and the Media Hopper tools. Um, and then having that wrapper to say, here's how you could actually implement it as well, which is kind of key because I think it's, you know, maybe there's an assumption that online is just, you just do it online. But there's so much complexity to do with that, like you're talking about transactional distance, the, the three C's, do you know what I mean, as well? Um, Absolutely. And it, I think it's important to note in those sessions, I couldn't. It, it, it should never be just one side or the other. It should never be just faculty or just the technology, I'm sorry, the technologist talking. I think having both of us there was really critical because there were questions that came up that I could not answer. Mm. I, I desperately needed Stuart's expertise or John Jack's expertise in that moment. And perhaps, you know, vice versa. I don't, but together, we, we form this uh, that a resource that I think covered the equation uh, quite, I thought, quite well. Do you know, for me, I think one of my takeaways from all of this is that that, is, that worked really well. And I think going forward, we should be thinking more about that style of training mm-hmm. where we have kind of a pedagogical expert and technical expert in the same room and having that genuine conversation about how to solve a particular problem or how you know how how to best do something that people want to do 
I, I think agree. it worked really well. I agree with that, Karen. I think sometimes those roles get sequestered a bit and uh, separated unnaturally. And I think that was probably part of the motivation for Miles and I having this podcast in the first place was to say that these conversations are ongoing in project teams, uh, but they're never really revealed to the larger university or in higher education in general that we have to work in tandem. There's no way we can do this in isolation from from one another. So I agree with you there. Yeah, I, I think it's just to just echo that as well. I, I, I can't see how... It, it's not beneficial. It's so beneficial us all having that kind of two stance perspective on it because, it, you know, and I think it's so problematic if you don't, um, if you take a technology lead, it's it's just trouble. It's mega trouble later on down the line. Um, yeah, especially in the types of technologies that we're talking about. Uh, you know, the the more emerging technologies. Yeah, that we've talking a little bit on this on this podcast about. I think even with the stuff we rolled out. And these core services with the, with this temporary kind of emergency uh, provision is that they could still be configured in, in problematic ways. And so relying on your institutional expertise and relying on the experts within those institutions to, to guide that, I think it's the way forward. Yeah. And, it, and I think even, you know, it's even like you've both kind of said as well, it's, it's highlighting um, how, yet again, the technology is core to, to us sitting at home. Uh, recording this podcast and to um you know the academics delivering their content and helping uh students um learn online the technology is now core to everything you know even for an audience that maybe didn't want to engage with it or for for various reasons maybe they um didn't have the time or um didn't want to use that that product maybe or that tool um and now are find themselves in a situation where the technology is the delivery, the mechanism where they have the contact. Um, so it's, it's, it's a twist. Coming from us, so my previous role was in one of our schools and I'm seeing colleagues from the school tweeting all excited about the fact that they've run their first um, tutorial or seminar um, online and collaborate and they've done a really good job of it and they're really pleased and the students are all really happy and, you know, they're, I think, possibly you know it's kind of opened their eyes a little bit as to it it doesn't need to be really hard so I've been really pleased to see that um, so so can I ask a wee question then um so this is I think right now we're in what well, week two officially of university moving transitioning pivoting lurching whatever we want to call <laughs> it um to, to to online teaching but are we in this kind of happy zone right now where people are like yeah I've done it that's great. I've done this, you know, and um, with the unknowing, we don't know how long this is going to last for. Um, yeah. So we'll, it's a legitimate you, question. Yeah. You know, what, what's going to happen later on down the line? Are we going to get more kind of people thinking, oh, hang on, I yeah. didn't mind this for a week or two, but I don't want to be doing it for six months. I think uh, I, I would echo first, I would echo what Karen said too, that most of what I've heard has been along those lines. It's like, oh, wow, this wasn't necessarily as hard as I thought it could it had to be or that I could conceivably sequence this in a meaningful way in a hurry and I could figure it out. But a lot of that had to do, like, as you said, Miles, the ground just sort of shifted underneath our feet there all in a hurry. And I think this necessity sort of created the spirit of togetherness. Uh, to get a, a camaraderie and, yeah. and, and, and experimentation to, to, to some degree as well, even though we were telling them to keep it really simple and, you know, just try to find the simplest version of what that thing is. 
there's still a lot of experimentation going on. People came to those Q&A sessions with ideas that I hadn't considered. And I was like, oh, yeah, that could work. There's no reason that couldn't work. Uh, and so that sharing of use cases and examples and all that kind of stuff was a very kind of fertile uh, experimental place. But you're right. What, what does this mean in terms of the indefinite nature of this? Are, are we thinking in terms of how this might play out in the summer sessions that will inevitably have to be conducted online, which we have a, a large deal of at the university? Uh, it, will this play out again in the fall when we have to approach uh, the next intake of university students coming in. So these questions will, will cascade for quite some time, I think. I think at the moment we have the exam period looming and obviously that will be um, dominating everyone's thoughts just now. So that will be the next thing on the, the, the list to deal with. Uh, but hopefully in a few more weeks, we should have a bit of clarity about um, what might happen by the time September rolls around. Fingers crossed. Yeah, and I think it's like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but that's that's a whole podcast in itself because it's so much things we could pick through, and I think it would be a great discussion because it's such a massive. It's you know compared to what we're what we've offered three weeks ago to to what's being proposed is is such a massive change. It's it's yeah, it's really interesting. That's um, right. But yeah, I think it's I think what this highlights is the fact that and it's something that. Um, Karen kind of picked up on on the notes prior to this the session is the you know the last two weeks are not normal and we talked about it in here and the next few months will not be normal um but I think we're talk, we're saying you know the the sessions that have got people to the point where they are now are have been run and attended really well and done a great job to get them on and get them into these tools um but it's 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 that kind of indefinite period, like you say as well, Mike, about how long this will last for, and and how people people's kind of yes, I like using these things currently. Whether that's still that goodwill is still there at a later date as well. You know, I think uh, there's a good point here to just maybe round it out and close down the podcast. It's just this idea that in moments of crisis, although this isn't new, this is completely un- abnormal. This is uh, you know. A crisis response, yeah. but I'd, the fact that we have these institutional assets, we have this institutional expertise, and we've been doing this for quite some time is a real luxury in these moments. It's a real, real asset, and that in a moment of crisis, you can pivot and rely on institutional know-how and institutional ideas of what is value-added, what's valued education, value-based education. And I think that's a real asset that we're, we're, we're very, very fortunate to have. Not every school or university would have that for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you can look at, so you look at the conversation, well, you look at the articles and the news coming out now and about you know, like Zoom being recommended by certain places to be used and all the data protection issues around that <laughs> and, and the concerns around that as well. And then thinking about, you know, we have done our, the, the experts that we have and the teams that have done all their homework for data protection, accessibility, the pedagogy, the technology, and all that kind of stuff. So we're in a very privileged place um, to be able to recommend and do all that kind of due diligence prior to that. I agree. I agree. It's real. And uh, Karen, you're a good example of that too. It's good to have you on uh, the podcast. So I guess maybe it's a good place to, to, to stop there. Well, thank you very much. That was a very interesting discussion. Yeah. Thank you for coming on, Karen. No problem. You'll be back for the assessment one.
Oh, of course. <laughs> Again, we'll need your we'll need your input. Yeah, I have lots to see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess we'll sign off now. That this is uh, Michael Gallagher. Uh, I'm Miles Blaney. And until next time. <laughs>